0: your girl KDT with a quick word before we start today's episode. First, just wanted to remind you that this is our month of rewinds as I take a break from the mic and celebrate my birthday month. And I also wanted to remind you that May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And in honor of that, this Rewind episode is Natasha Pierre with the National Alliance on Mental Illness, giving us some great insight on the importance of taking care of our mental health. And she shares her own mental health journey. It's inspirational, and I hope that you'll listen. Also wanted to remind you that in honor of my birthday, we're asking you to help me celebrate by going on over and donating to the nonprofit arm of In My Shoes, Sisters Empowering Women. Our campaign this month is to raise funds to give away journals to women of color who are educators and working with our kids every day, as well as our high school seniors, girls of color, going into their senior year of high school so that they can record this journey as they go into adulthood. You can find the link to donate in the show notes, and I hope that you will donate and help me celebrate my birthday. Okay, guys, let's get started. Hello, hello, and welcome to In My Shoes, a podcast for women of color about the issues that we face each and every day. I am your host, Karen Davis-Thompson, and I have a wonderful special guest with me today, Natasha Pierre correct? Correct. And you are the vice president of NAMI Hillsboro? That's correct. Thank you so much for being my guest today. I really appreciate it. I met Natasha at an event I attended about a month or so ago, talking about mental health in my area and how law enforcement and other groups were working to assist. That's where we met. And so she was gracious enough to be my guest today. And I'm really excited. So Natasha, we'll start with you telling our listeners a little bit about yourself.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Glad to be here. And where do I begin? So yes, I am the vice president of NAMI Hillsborough, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And NAMI is the nation's largest grassroots mental health organization. And so in this county, NAMI Hillsborough is the affiliate. There are city, state, and county affiliates across the nation. I am a mental health educator, a mental health advocate and I became one through by 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 force <laughs> I guess <laughs> by necessity mm-hmm. because I have my own 20 plus year journey with what's considered a severe mental illness so because of the things that I went through I had to learn I had to understand I had to advocate for myself first and now I do that for others.
0: Thank you so much. So you mentioned that you've had your own mental health journey. Tell us a little bit about your diagnosis. When did you realize that you wanted to or needed to seek treatment?
1: What was that journey like for you? So my the diagnoses that I was given were bipolar type 2, ultradian or ultra, ultra rapid cycling. So what that means is a person, bipolar disorders is characterized by periods of depression and hypomania or mania. So for bipolar type one, typically the person will um, have more manic episodes and for bipolar type two, in my case, it was more towards depression. So ultradian just means that I could cycle between depression and hypomania several times in a year, month, week, and day. Mm. So bipolar type 2, post-traumatic stress, Uh, it's no longer called post-traumatic stress disorder, and that was related to me being in New York uh, on 9-11 and having, I was scheduled to be uh, arriving at the World Trade Center. Generalized anxiety, which often accompanies PTS and bipolar uh, disorder, and EDNOS, which is an eating disorder not otherwise specified, which means you're not, not eating because you want to be thin. You're not eating because you are paranoid about being poisoned. When I knew that something was wrong, it was in college. Uh, there was several days where I did not get out of bed, and that's where the depression symptoms were, I guess, made aware to me. But in hindsight, I found a poem that I wrote when I was nine that spoke about me wanting to jump off a building. So I think my my first awareness that there might be something different was when maybe around age 18.
0: And was it that it was something that you kind of felt or did somebody say to you, hey, I think you may need to talk to someone? Was it a combination of
1: the two? It was uh, some friends pointing out to me that my behavior was a bit different. Uh, The relationship that I was in at the time, uh, he also pointed out that something was odd. And fortunately, at the time, there was the campus counseling service. So I went to counseling several times a week to try to get a handle on what I was feeling. Because, you know, 20 years ago, we didn't have the vocabulary that we do now. We didn't have the awareness of mental health challenges and mental illness that we do now. So it was just talking out what I was feeling at that time, including the anxiety symptoms that I had.
0: And how did you feel once you got the diagnosis?
1: What was that Mm. like? Great question. It was bittersweet. It was sweet because, oh, good. There isn't anything wrong with me, all right? There's a name for what I'm experiencing. Other people experience too. Wonderful, but bitter because it ushered in the Mm self-stigma. Okay, now that we have a name for it, now we definitely know that something's wrong with you. You're not normal. You're not like everyone else. And I struggled to make sense of the diagnosis for me and what it meant for the rest of my life, and how I would interact with other people. And quite honestly, for many, many years, I lived with the shame of having a mental illness. And I, uh, and I did not know what to do with that, mm-hmm. and was afraid of anyone finding out.
0: Oh, and it's interesting you say that. That was my next question. Mm-hmm. What was it like... Um, Telling other people, did you hide it for a while? And when you did finally either feel comfortable or uh, vulnerable, for lack of a better word, to let somebody know, hey, this is what it is, how did they respond to you?
1: Fortunately for me, I had a a friend who received a mental health diagnosis around the same time. Mm -hmm. And we both started a blog, uh, anonymously, of course, where we would just share our thoughts and what this meant. And so we were each other's confidant, and that was a, a safe place for us until we could figure out what we wanted to do next. When I did begin to share, I'd love to say that, you know, people welcomed me with mm-hmm. open arms, but that's just not the case. Stigma, mental health and mental illness stigma is, is real. And I, you know, I had the, so are you crazy or, or crazy, crazy? Mm-hmm. Well, what does that mean? And you know people's like, "Okay, so why are you acting so weird?" My diagnosis became the reason why I did anything okay. that someone wasn't pleased with, mm-hmm. and so for a very long time, I didn't want to tell anyone I didn't share because I knew they would hone in on that as the reason for anything I did that they weren't agree with, okay. and that's friends, relationships at work, et cetera."
0: Mm-hmm. And when did you get to a point where you said, you know what, like for me, I'll just use my own experience. So obviously my daughter has a mental illness Mm -hmm. and it was difficult for me to want to discuss because I didn't know how people would react. And I got to a place where I was like, you know what, it it is what it is. I'm going to put it out there because I know I'm not the only one. And there have to be other people going through this and maybe me telling my story will help, even though I'm just telling it from the point of view of a caregiver. So when do you feel you got to a place where you said, you know what, this is a part of who I am and I'm no longer going to hide it or or, or act like I'm ashamed of it? In
1: 2017 mm-hmm. was the the beginning. And I, I recognized that remaining silent and attempting to hide what was a very real part of my life was hurting me more than any perceived or imagined hurt that someone could inflict upon me. Okay, And I got to a point where I'm like, I, I'm afraid to do everything because I'm afraid of people finding out. So you know what? If I just tell my story, if I just share it, if I tell people, then what you do with that information is on like you, you. But yeah. I'm not going to... to live and hold on to the shame anymore.
0: And do you think that what I've noticed, Mm -hmm. and you can tell me if you've seen the same thing, is even from a caregiver perspective, talking about a mental illness or a mental health diagnosis isn't something that we do in black and brown communities Mm -hmm. uh, very well. And so have you, first of all, found that to be the case for you as well? Like I went to um, one of the NAMI classes. It was not the NAMI basics. It was the family Family, um, family to family. Yes, I mm-hmm. went to that, and I was literally the only black person in the room. I've been to other uh, sessions for, you know, parents or caregivers of somebody who has, because my daughter has multiple diagnoses. Mm-hmm. So even when it's autism, ADHD, I'm a lot of times one of the only people, maybe in a room with twenty or thirty people, I'm the only person of color, maybe me and one other person. Have you found that
1: to be the case as well? Absolutely, and in my opinion, there's a lot of uh, social. Determinants that factor into why there aren't uh, more conversations about mental illness happening in in Black and Brown communities. Uh, the first that comes to mind is is religion mm-hmm. and faith. Mm-hmm. You know, in Black communities, you know what? Meditate on the word, fast and pray, build up your faith. That's the go-to for everything that is mental health Mm -hmm. and so they're not even entertaining and 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 even if they talk about it they talk about it in terms of there's something that needs to be cast out of you yes they talk about it Mm -hmm. in terms of oppression demonic possession and so there's no room for even them for anyone to entertain possibly that this could actually be a health condition There's also, as far as attending support groups and educational courses, I think that there is an economic component to that. Mm -hmm. You know, when people are required, parents, you know, heads of households are required to work one and a half jobs, the time to get out to a support group or to a class, there's really no time for that. And yes, we'd love to say everyone should go online and Google, but what I always share is that it's not that we need more information because the information is out there. Mm-hmm. We need to understand how that information applies to our individual diagnosis and condition mm-hmm. and then begin to have conversations within the family, within the church, within the community so that we can all better understand how to support each other.
0: And I have found some of that also. I was mm-hmm. born and raised in a church. And even now, sometimes people will say, you know, we just, she got that the devil in her and Um, it really does irritate the living daylights out of me. You know, I have said to people, you know, if, if if I told you she had cancer or some sort of heart condition, you wouldn't say that to me. And I think sometimes, um, I found that it can be a very I don't know if you've found this, it can be somewhat subjective in terms of, you know, it's not like you put this x-ray up and say, see the little blockage right there Mm -hmm. or this spot right here. And so, you know, sometimes I think because there is that subjectivity that people see with it, that they don't think of it as a true medical condition. Has that also been something that you've
1: experienced? Absolutely. Mental health is health. Yes. And, uh, you know, it is just as important as physical health. And I tell people, if you break your leg, Mm -hmm. you can still cook, you can still watch TV, you can still interact with friends. If you have a migraine, everything shuts down. (laughs) And so that's almost akin to how... Uh, disruptive, having a mental illness can be for the individual. And there's no empathy because people aren't understanding. And because people who are actually living it, aren't sharing their story. So Mm -hmm. that's why I wanted to, to just be a voice and say, you know what, if no one else is talking about it, let me let you know and understand what life is like for me, me with my, my certificate in ministry, me who has been through Bible school, me who has been in church all my life, me who could recite the scripture with the best of them, Mm -hmm. I understand that in the same way uh, praying uh, for high blood pressure Mm -hmm. doesn't mean it automatically goes away and you continue to take your your high blood pressure medicine. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing for schizophrenia, for ADD, for bipolar disorder. And I've challenged pastors. I'm like, okay, if you believe that mental health is not a health condition, all right, let's do this. Let us all pray everything away. So on Sunday, if I'm no longer taking mood stabilizers or antipsychotics, I want all um, insulin, Mm -hmm. all high blood pressure medicine. I want glasses, canes, wheelchairs, and let's just all believe God together. Mm -hmm. But stigma. right? We isolate. Physical ailments, okay, we get that. Mental health, fast and pray.
0: Fast and pray, yep. Absolutely, and so how would you say that once you decided this is me, this is all of me? How did it change your interactions or your relationships with others? Did you have some people who were who were understanding of that? Did you have some who said,
1: "Yeah, this is more than I can comprehend"? Both. Mm-hmm. How the I, I know the the defining moment for me. I was working with a coach who's a friend of mine, and I was telling her that I was thinking about just coming right out with it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, but, you know, I kept having this reoccurring dream that, you know, I'm outed on TMZ. (laughs) And she's like, well, Natasha, you're a publicist. Write a statement as if you were the client of what you would say to the press. Mm -hmm. And I wrote a statement. And I was like, wow, I would let them know, you know, that mental health is something that we should all pay attention to. And it wasn't an opportunity to inflict shame and stigma. And from there, I just said, you know what? I'm telling everyone. For me, it was very freeing, very liberating. I I felt that I slept better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was happy. It's, you know, there's a quote from Senator Daryl Roussan that I love, which is if I scream my story first, mm-hmm. you can't embarrass me if you whisper it second. Oh, wow. And that's that is very powerful. I just I just shared my story. And I have Zero regrets. Regrets for that. Mm -hmm. And so how would you say that since you've actually um,
0: told your story, you've been dealing with it for several years, how would you say the symptoms or your mental illness impacts your everyday, just everyday living? Great question.
1: (laughs) You know, many people think that, you know, as soon as you take medicine, it's like Red Bull. It gives you wings. (laughs) You're no longer symptomatic. Woo, life is better. Great. That's not the case. Mm -hmm. You know, 20-year journey. I've been on several different medications. And for me, you know, and I I know this is true for other people as well, sometimes the medicine loses its efficacy. Mm -hmm. So you can be on it for two years and have a great run, and then all of a sudden it stops working. Uh, Life issues, life stressors Mm -hmm. can impact whether or not your medicine works. The full moon can make you feel symptomatic. Mm -hmm. For a woman, your cycle can make you feel symptomatic. And so for me, have I had more good days than bad days? Definitely. Mm-hmm. Do I have bad days? Absolutely. I no longer look at my life in terms of hypomanic or depressed. Mm-hmm. I just say some days I have low energy, some days I have higher energy. On the days where I have low energy, I know that I'm not working from a Panera Bread. I'm not attending you know, right. meetings with lots of people. I'm mm-hmm. just you know, cooling out by myself. Uh, for the days that I have higher energy, I'm doing more. And, uh, you know, a lot of people think that if you have a mental illness, you no longer have suicidal thoughts. Mm -hmm. And that's not true. In my 20 year journey, on and off medication, I still have suicidal thoughts. I, I tell people that it is, the way that I look at it is similar to when a person gets married or gets into a relationship, you do not immediately stop noticing other good looking people. Mm-hmm. You notice other good looking people, you just don't act on it. And so the thought will come. It's not the, that first thought we have sometimes, you know, I'd say I have no control over the thought that comes in, mm-hmm. but I have control over the second thought. And so the thought may come in, you know what, just drive off the bridge. Um, You know what, no one really cares about you, just end it. For me now, that second thought, it's like a tennis match. Negative thought comes in, I hit it, the ball right back over the net. No, I have a lot to live for. Mm -hmm. I am fine. This is just a bad day. Tomorrow will be better. In fact, tonight will be better. Lay down if you must, but we're not doing that.
0: And how do you think it has impacted relationships with friends, with somebody you might be dating? How has that uh, worked, especially since you've decided, you
1: know what, you either take me or leave me? I am grateful. I have amazing friends. Mm -hmm. I have amazing friends who have supported me from day one. Um, One of my best friends is a mental health and rehabilitation counselor, and sometimes when I can't put words to what I'm feeling, She is able to, from a clinical perspective, I have friends with diagnoses, mental Mm -hmm. health diagnoses, and I'm grateful because it takes a person with a diagnosis to understand understand. a person Mm -hmm. with a diagnosis. In relationships, you know, um, in one of my past relationships, uh, he was, you know, very, very supportive um, order the DSM three, four, and five Uh to understand, (laughs) understand, um, what I was dealing with. He ordered books to get it. We had a, you know, our internal code of what's your number today. Mm -hmm. If zero is suicidal and 10 is, I'm going to burn the place down. Where are you you? on that spectrum? (laughs) And I'd be like, you know, I'm feeling kind of three-ish today. Okay. Or I'm feeling seven-ish today. And so one of the things that I advocate for the individual, the person with the diagnosis, is self-awareness. I can't ask anyone to support me. Mm -hmm. I can't tell someone to support me if I can't articulate what I'm feeling. I am the person that needs to first be aware of, you know what, I am a little irritable today. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I'm not going to work from Panera Bread because I'm going to hear every apple that someone bites into, every chip they crunch, every pen click. And for a person with a mental illness, specifically for me with bipolar disorder, that hypomanic side makes me very sensitive. So Mm -hmm. my hearing is on level 30. Oh, wow. Everything is sensitive. I hear everything at a level 10. And so I know during those times, work from home find a quiet place to work. I can't lash out at everyone for eating their lunch. Right. (laughs) Just because I'm hearing it differently. And that's it's self-awareness and then the self-regulation. What do you need to do in order to continue your day without being mean to others? others.
0: Okay. So let's pivot just a little Mm -hmm. bit. So you said that, um, Part of the reason why you got involved in NAMI was Mm -hmm. obviously because you had a diagnosis. So tell me a little bit about how you got started with NAMI. What has that been like? And some of the services that NAMI offers for people who maybe don't know um, even what NAMI stands for, much less what what it does.
1: So I've been involved with NAMI for years. I started for my own needs. Mm -hmm. And when I moved to the Tampa Bay area seven years ago, I wanted NAMI. And NAMI wasn't as thriving and as robust as it had been in other states that I lived in. And so last March uh, 2019, I was like, okay, I need NAMI. Other people need NAMI. Where is NAMI (laughs) (laughs) Hillsboro? What's going on? So I started attending the meetings. And from attending the meetings, that turned into, okay, now I'm a member. Um, Well, I've always been a member of NAMI, just Mm -hmm. not a member of NAMI Hillsboro. I became a member. Then I became a board member. Then I became a vice president. And everything just kind of flowed from there. The last year has been a... Uh, a whirlwind mm-hmm. <laughs> um, for the organization. We've had a lot of media coverage. I've shared my story a lot. We've gotten a lot of people motivated and rallied to not only share their story, but also to recognize that recovery is possible. And your mental health recovery and journey may look different from mine, but it is possible. And you get to choose however that looks for you. For you. So, relative to our services, NAMI is known for our education, our support groups, our advocacy, and our outreach. With our education, we have a program for family members and caregivers, family to family. Um, and then we also have a program for the peers, a so person with a lived experience, which is peer to peer. We have NAMI basics for parents of children under 22 years living with a diagnosis. Our support groups, Again, one for families and caregivers, one for the individual. We have two presentations, Ending the Silence, that we take to middle schools and high schools, Mm -hmm. as well as In Our Own Voice, which is for churches, corporations, libraries, wherever. And our advocacy is local and state. We are, you know, when it comes to, to mental health and mental illness, you know, what's closely related is substance use. And mm-hmm. so we're keeping track of every bill, any legislation that uh, that is related to the population that we serve. We want to know about supportive housing. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to know is progress being made with insurance parity to ensure that there is equal coverage for mental health conditions as there is for uh, physical, physical. conditions. Mm-hmm. We want to know about first episode psychosis funding. And, and that basically means that the first time a person experiences a psychotic episode, all hands should be on deck. And that's not happening. Mm. Typically, people are going five years. Five oh, years wow. is how long it takes for a person to really seek and receive treatment after that initial diagnosis yes. or initial psychotic episode. And that's, a, that's similar to you walking into a doctor and like, oh, well, you have low risk stage one cancer. So come back when you have stage four. Oh, wow.
0: Now, do you, have you found that that is, because um, I've done a little research on it. Obviously, I've lived in Florida my life, all my mm-hmm. life, is where my daughter lives. Is that something that you find is worse in the state of Florida in this area? Or is it an overall issue? I've kind of looked around. I've heard that in some states the funding and the assistance is better,
1: like like we're kind of low on the totem pole in Florida? We are so low that the only um, place that's behind us is an a state. It's Puerto Rico. Oh, wow. So we are dead last when it comes to mental health funding. And that's for the state of Florida. Fortunately, Hillsborough County is light years, in my opinion, above other cities, mm-hmm. counties and states in Florida between the sheriff's office, police department, state's attorney, public defender, school board, we are really we have a all hands on deck approach to addressing mental health and substance use and I'm optimistic. Of course there are many other states that are are, are more aggressive and and aggressive in their approach. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if Hillsborough County can be the, the beta group and the front runner for what's happening in the state, I'm I'm excited about it. about it. And now we probably
0: should have said this earlier, but what does NAMI stand for, for people
1: who may mm-hmm. not know? NAMI is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Yep. And, and is it in all 50 states? I believe so, okay. because we've got, um, we're the nation's largest, and I know we have some globally as well, the largest grassroots mental health organization. Okay. And so, you know, for me in this county, when people think mental health, I want them to think NAMI. NAMI. Mm-hmm. And what would be the one
0: thing, if you can narrow it down to one, if it's a couple, that's fine. Okay. What are the one or two misconceptions, we've talked about it a little bit, I think, that you think people have about a person who has a mental
1: illness or mental health diagnosis? Number one, that people with a mental illness are, are violent. Mm. Oh, yes. That um, raises my hackles. Mm -hmm. And I am very deliberate and unapologetic. When I correct people who try to make that correlation. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, having a mental illness does not, isn't a, a precursor to violent behavior. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, even when we are addressing mental illness and mental health in schools, we have to be very clear that not, we're not saying that all school shootings are the result of mental, mental illness. illness. No, yes. it, that is not the case at all. So, that's one. The second one is that mental illness is on some, some way a death sentence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not, you know, to have a mental illness does not mean you must give up your goals. Uh, Demi Lovato, Britney Spears, Chris Brown, Katherine Zeta Jones, Jennifer, um, can't remember her name. She's an actress. There are many people mm-hmm. who are living successful lives with a mental illness diagnosis, and. You know, when the statistic is one in five people are living with a mental illness, that's your teacher, your mechanic, your attorney, your dentist, yes, yes. the 7 yes. you know. <laughs>
0: right. So what else do
1: you think mm-hmm. that
0: if somebody's listening to this? So we've mm-hmm. talked about the misconceptions. What are the one or two things you would want people to take away from listening to this? Are there things you want them to do maybe to be on the lookout for a family member? Is it to just remember the misconceptions we've talked about? What is it you want people to take away knowing
1: The first one for the person with the lived experience, I want them to know that recovery is possible Mm -hmm. and recovery means your, your wellness, your mental wellness. You can live with a diagnosis and not be in agony Mm -hmm. every moment of the day. And I do what I do because I want to be, for other people, what I so desperately wanted many times in my life, which was hope. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to know that I won't be in pain every day for the rest of my life. So I want you to know that it is possible, you know, and you may have to try different medications and different treatments, but it is possible. And you have the freedom to create your own wellness plan for... And in order to do so, you have to get educated on the diagnosis and how it affects you. Mm -hmm. For family members, caregivers, support, get educated on the diagnosis and how it impacts your loved one. And then find a support group for you because you have your own lived experience. It is painful to be able to see a loved one in pain, Mm -hmm. in agony, self-harming, hurting themselves, stopping medication, uh, leaving treatment and you feel powerless to help. It's its own pain. And at NAMI, we recognize that there's two experiences. There's the person with the diagnosis, and there's everyone who loves them. Absolutely. And so we we cater to both. But recovery is possible, and communicate. One in five people are living with a mental illness, but five in five people must care about their mental health and care about your mental health now so it doesn't become a mental illness. And what that means is if if someone dies today that's close to you it is human to grieve it's human to feel sad now if you are grieving in year 5 with the same intensity as you did in year 1 we're at mental illness okay okay i understand
0: what you mean
1: mm-hmm. we're at mental illness and so before it gets to that point take care of yourself, right. use your PTO, take your vacation days, cancel some plans, say no, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. back away, do whatever you need to do to ensure that you have time to to heal and to replenish and to be restored.
0: Mm-hmm. Take the time to do that. And have you ever found, as you were talking about that, uh, I kind of thought about from the caregiver perspective, have you ever found that sometimes taking care of or being, you know, for example, for me, my daughter's legally an adult, Mm -hmm. but there are a lot of things that I have to take care of in a day for her Mm -hmm. that sometimes it can cause the caregiver to have their own kind of break or mental health, uh, trauma because of what they are having to experience uh, with their loved one.
1: It's, it's almost like a caregiver fatigue. Mm And it happens with parents and family members of someone with a, a, a mental illness. It happens to adult children as they take care of their elderly parents. Mm-hmm. It happens to um, any caregiver will experience the fatigue. And the, the times where who you're caring for isn't grateful for your yeah. care, <laughs> isn't understanding that I want the best yes, for you. Yes. Please That's where help I am right now. me take yes. care of you. <laughs> it's its own fatigue. And guess what? outsiders looking in who do not understand your experience are going to judge you Mm -hmm. why is your child behaving like that what did you do Mm -hmm. where did you fail and so that's why the support groups are so important because you're going to get into that room with another mother another father another aunt another grandmother who is tired of reminding their adult child to take the medicine Mm -hmm. who is tired of the baker act revolving door who's tired of having to get the ex parte baker act or calling the sheriff's department they're tired too and so no one is going to understand your experience and your journey Besides someone who's, living, who's it. living it,
0: that is absolutely
1: true. I was telling you
0: earlier that's what started me on this journey. Mm-hmm. That people were very judgmental, or um, and and my daughter is adopted, so then I got the whole you know this is what happens, and you're taking on somebody else's issues, and and you know, or she's so bright. Well, nobody said she wasn't smart. It
1: has nothing to do. <laughs> I take it you hear that one also. That's another <laughs> misconception mm-hmm. that people with mental illness are stupid. I have worked with people. I had one client who was an attorney and an accountant. Mm -hmm. I've worked with doctors, dentists, attorneys, people with multiple postgraduate certifications and degrees. Brilliant. And so you, everyone thinks that a person with a mental illness is the one that's sitting in the corner drooling. No, Mm -hmm. not always. There are people who, You know, for me personally, I say sometimes that I feel like I sit on the edge of sanity and insanity, Mm -hmm. you know, that I I I, I'm extremely smart in a lot of areas. And I'm like, I don't know, maybe my my human mind can't take it all. (laughs) I don't know. But, you know, there are people who are very strong and capable and to that end, many people who are homeless. Mm -hmm. I've met people who are homeless dealing with substance use and mental health challenges. And then I hear that you're an attorney. You were an officer in the military. You were a surgeon in your country. What? You are, you, have w- w- huh? Yes. Right. Yes. So a misconception is that a lot of people with, with mental illness are stupid, are lazy, they want to scam the system, that, you know, they don't want to work hard, and so it's just easy to collect Social Security. Just so that everyone is clear, Social Security, SSI, is only $783 a month. I don't know anyone who can live live on only that. that. And that's the max. And that's the max. If you get a job, they start chipping away at that. And even though it's... um, And you could, if you work bring in more income i'm also a a, a work incentives practitioner through um the social security administration Mm -hmm. so i've got that credential through cornell so anyone who's receiving social security i can show them either how to work their way off of benefits or work and 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 keep their benefits or work and enhance um their total Uh, monthly income Income. Mm -hmm. and so many many people are afraid and I'll be honest with you for every person that I've worked with if they had a physical condition you know I advise them work to your heart's content because it's very easy for you to walk into the social security office and show them that you have one arm one leg deaf blind etc but for a person for example like me well Natasha you're working you written a book you speak How are you? Why should we give you Social Security? Mm -hmm. Because they think that recovery for a person with a mental illness isn't linear. Mm. You can have five amazing years where you are working and life is fantastic, and then a death happens. Mm. You lose a job. You move. Life happens. And then you're unable to work. And so for the people that I advise who are on Social Security, I tell them, I show them exactly how they can work and maintain their eligibility so they won't have to reapply if they're working a full 40 hours or more because, because that's just the nature of, of the illness. Of the illness. Mm-hmm. If people want to get involved with NAMI, either mm-hmm.
0: as someone who has a mental illness or like me who's on the caregiver side or they just want to
1: advocate what do they go to the website? Is there a number they can call? How would they do that? Absolutely. So, our website is namihillsboro and that's n a m i hillsboro.org. Uh, my email address is there. Many people want to contact me directly, and that's fine. I, my direct messages are always open mm-hmm. when it's mental health related. And I'm on social media, Natasha Pierre, Natasha Pierre official. I am always willing to speak to anyone. That's why I do what I do. I've had people as far as Bulgaria and London and Kenya and Nigeria reach out to me to say, you know, I saw your post and um, I was planning to take my life and I saw your post and I stopped. That's why I do what I do because I want you to live.
0: That's why gosh, I don't even know if we should say anything after that. Are there any final thoughts you want to give to the audience?
1: You're worth it. You're worth it. Whether you have the diagnosis or you are loving someone who has a diagnosis, your mental health matters too. And you will get fatigued. You will be frustrated. You know, No, you do not have a mental illness. But sadness and depression, that's a mental health challenge. And you deserve to be cared for as well. So take time your mental health is worth more than going to the party more than the exam more than the job it is it is worth it and know that there are people like me and Nami and many others who are advocating to make Hillsborough County Florida the United States the world a more compassionate place to live thank you so much for your time Natasha this
0: has been a wonderful interview i really appreciate it I wanted to remind all of you before we go that May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And so starting with Natasha's episode, we'll be bringing several to you in the month of May, where we'll talk about mental health from various perspectives within the communities of color. And we do hope that you'll join us for those. If there are things you want to hear us talk about on In My Shoes, feel free as always to hit me up at KDT at InMyShoesToday.com. Again, that is KDT at InMyShoesToday.com. Looking forward to spending more time with you guys in the coming weeks. Until we meet again, be blessed.